What's up, True Life? Um, obviously, I am not Caleb Davis. He's sitting right here. Uh, my name is Nick Sestola, and we've lived in Louisville, or moving here from Louisville. Been here for about three, four days now, so brand spanking new. My wife will be here in like two weeks, so I'm hoping she comes quick um, as we finish up house stuff and everything that comes with moving. Um, yeah, so I'm the new worship director, and yeah, I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, it's good to be here. We're excited. Um, and you're probably asking, why the heck is the new worship director preaching? And I asked the exact same question, and that's okay. That's okay. Uh, Caleb reached out to me a couple weeks ago, and he thought this would be a good opportunity for me to share my heart and vision for what I'm hoping true worship here at True Life will look like in this next season. And we're going to let God's word come and inform us on what that is. Um, and it's kind of a hard task to preach on worship because worship's a really loaded term. What I mean by that is if we took a survey of everyone's memories and affiliations with the word worship, there would probably be about a million different things. There'd be memories of like maybe something that's really fond and some that are insanely awkward, you know? Um, or, you know, everyone probably has a different definition, different experience with it. And I think one of the reasons that is is because we see so many differences in worship. You know, if you go down to uh, southern Alabama at a historically black church, you're probably not going to see a guy with skinny jeans and acoustic guitar and infinity scarf, you know? <laughs> but if you go out to the suburbs, that's probably, you know, at a mega church out in the suburbs, that's probably what you're going to see. And if we go to the church out in China, it's going to look a lot different than Latin America. I mean, everything from instruments to song choice to the way they sing to the way they dance, it's going to look very, very different. And it's not just different in terms of, like, horizontal culture, but it's different in terms of time. That if you guys were a Christian in the 90s at a predominantly white church, you probably remember the worship wars. That there's churches that split over whether or not we sing hymns or whether or not we sing Chris Tomlin. And you know? <laughs> and so we worship different than the previous generations. And that generation works different than it was in the early 1900s and different than the 1800s. And it's vastly different from the way, the cultural things that Jesus did when he worshiped. So it's changed. Um, so we see differences there. I don't know about you guys, but I've felt very pressured by different, like, value pulls. Of, you got, like, the emotional, experiential worship on one hand, and then on the other hand, you got this, like, intellectual, theological worship. And I remember, like, being a young believer, this is high school, it was, like, 60 kids in this, like, pitch black basement worshiping our hearts out. It was great. Um, but I remember, like, sitting in the corner and literally trying to think of the saddest Christian things I could think of just to get a tear, <laughs> you know, because that's what Jesus wanted. He wanted my tears, and that's what it was, and, uh, and it was just kind of funny looking back, but then on the other side, I remember I visited my buddy out in the Appalachian Mountains at his college ministry, and he ran sound, and so I went, we went early to be there during sound setup and watch the band practice, and it was a mandolin, a banjo, a violin, an acoustic guitar, which just kind of like what they do in the mountains out there, and um, they sang hymns. Um, but not the hymns that you know, like Come Thou Fount, or you know, all the ones with the pretty melody lines that everyone knows. They sing the hymns you've never heard of. Half the words haven't been used in 300 years. You know, the melody lines go like this, and everything was out of tune, so they counted off, and they go, one, two, three, four, and just start playing really fast, and I'm just like, you know. And I look over to my friend, and he just goes, worship is a discipline here. And I'm just, <laughs> and I just bust out laughing, you know. And, but there was... Even in that community, there's this value that unless we are singing, like, complex, deep theology in a historic way, that there's not really value in worship. Um, it's kind of the opposite of the spectrum. And these can be really confusing to navigate. Um, and especially as a worship leader, these are big questions of what the heck do we do? 
And I think one thing in all my journey of being a believer and pursuing what does it mean to worship, there's one thing that's been absolutely universal and clear, that when God's people gather to ascribe him worth through song, that is absolutely beautiful, mysterious, and weighty, and unlike anything else a human being can experience. And repeat that, that there's something about when God's people gather to ascribe him worth through song that is absolutely beautiful, mysterious, and weighty, unlike anything else a human being can experience. Um, and so my goal this morning is to kind of flesh that out um, and to kind of answer why that is and what that is. Um, just to give you a definition just off the front. So when I'm talking about worship, worship in the Bible is something that affects every aspect of our life, what it means to ascribe worth to God in every aspect. For just the sake of this morning, I'm specifically talking about what does it mean to ascribe God worth through song. And in our tradition, that's in the gathering of believers on Sunday morning. Um, but to do that, we need God's help. Because at the end of the day, who cares what I think? Um, but we want to see what Jesus has to say to us. So I'm going to pray this in and we're going to get into the text. Uh, Father God, Lord, uh, we need your help um, to understand what it means to rightly, rightly relate to you through worship. What it means to sing to you. And so, God, I pray that you'd open up our hearts, open up our heads, open up our hands, uh, just to see what you have. Um, and, Lord, I pray that would inform the way we worship you here in this next season, hopefully throughout the life of the church, which will hopefully last till Jesus comes back. Um, Lord, I pray that you would just bless this this morning through your spirit. I pray this in your holy name. Amen. Awesome. If you guys have your Bibles, um, you can open up to 1 Chronicles chapter 16. And if you don't, you can follow along on the screen. So just a little background um, on this text. So it's in the Old Testament. Um, it's before, like Psalms, Proverbs, Job. Uh, it's after 1 Samuel, Kings. Um, and it's, this is in the time of King David. Uh, King David lived about a thousand years before Jesus walked on the earth. And when you think of King David, think the height of the nation of Israel. Like, this is as good as it gets. So he's the best king. And every, pretty much every king after that, just pretty much downhill. And they're kind of compared to him. Um, and so not only is David king, he's finally been king on the throne. That there's, I think it was, he was anointed as king, I think, seven years before. And he's just, just been persecuted and chased around by different people. But he's now finally king of Israel and sitting on the throne. And not only that, the Ark of the Covenant, which is this place that God would manifest his presence once a year to the high priest in the Old Testament. Go read Leviticus. He'll tell you more about it. Um, the Ark of the Covenant has been in foreign nations and other cities, but it's now finally coming to the tabernacle, coming to the temple, the place where God dwells among God's people. And that's important because it's a symbol of God's favor and presence. Um, so when the Ark was gone, that's bad. When it's, when, it's, when it's here, it's good. And so in this passage, the Ark is finally coming back. The king's on the throne. God's presence and favor is among Israel. So what do they do? Which is our text. So you can start, read along with me in verse 8. This is what he says. This is what he sings. He says, Oh, give thanks to the Lord. Call upon his name. Make known his deeds among the peoples. Sing to him. Sing praises to him. Tell of all his wondrous works. Glory in his holy name. Let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice. Seek the Lord in his strength and seek his presence continually. So God's presence is finally among the people. And what do they do? They sing. Um, and why is that? And I'm going to give you guys four points, and this is the first point, um, and that's worship is embodied. And what do I mean by that? That sounds kind of weird. Worship is embodied. Um, here's a great question. Like it says in verse 10, how do you glory in God's holy name? 
If you're anything like me, God's holiness is hard enough to understand, let alone what it means to glory in it. That's a really abstract statement. Am I wrong? (laughs) But yet there's something about when I raise my hands and I say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come that captures it. It helps us It helps us take these metaphysical and abstract realities and respond to God in a right way in our bodies. So when I say worship is embodied, it means it happens in our bodies. Um, Because it's like, how do you respond to holiness? (laughs) But yet, singing captures it. Um, I think it's kind of like, it reminds me of baptism. Uh, So let's say Stan. Are there any Stans in here? Okay, good. That's why I picked the name. I didn't think there's Stans. It's not a common name. Um, So Stan becomes a Christian. So what happens to Stan? His entire eternal destiny changes. Every sin he ever has done, is doing currently, and ever will do has been forgiven. He's given an inheritance that can't be taken away in the heavenlies. He's going to be standing in front of Jesus face to face one day. He's now been dead to sin and alive to Jesus. And there's about a million other things that happen, (laughs) you know, with salvation. Those are just a, a small list. But does anything change with Stan physically? No. It's not like he grows an extra toe and everyone's like, ah, you're a Christian, because you got the Christian toe. You know? um, I don't know why I thought of that. That's kind of weird. Um, you know, it's not like he gets a halo and just floats everywhere, you know. Um, but that would be easy. That would make, make some things a little bit easier. Um, <laughs> but uh, that's not what happens. So what does God do? Is he gives us this institution of baptism that there's something about when he's dunked underneath the water that we can taste that just like he was dead in his sins, he's now affiliated with Jesus and the sins have been paid. And that when he comes out and comes up, that he's affiliated with Jesus' resurrection. And that's true of him. And that the water washes away all his impurity and now he stands clean and right before the Lord in front of the presence of believers as he's grafted into a family. That lets us taste these spiritual realities in a physical way. And we need this because you and I have flesh. And God cares about flesh. We're, we're spirit and flesh. Um, and worship is something that just captures that. It captures that unity um, that we can actually rightly respond. And God's gracious um, that it gives us these kind of things. You know, I think that's, I think that's why music is a central part of the human experience and, and even more central to the Christian experience because um, it captures something. And it captures something deeper. Um, not, so part of worship being embodied, uh, it means... Uh, actually, in verse 10, it says this, Glory in his holy name, let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice. Um, rejoice. So that's emotional language. So when we talk on the spectrum, uh, we see emotions involved in worship. You don't have to get very far in the Psalms before you see a host of emotions talked about. And the Psalms are a book in the Old Testament that is just literally just a book of songs. Is literally all it means. And so you see emotional language, and not only do you see emotional language, but you see the physical actions that follow emotional language. So if you take, actually, in 2 Samuel, it gives a different account of this this same event, of when the ark was coming in, and David's king. And it tells us that when, literally, the ark was coming into the city, David, he essentially ripped off his shirt, put on a robe, and just danced with all his might before the Lord. And when was the last time you saw that in church, you know? Are there any Hot Rod fans in here? Anybody? Okay, one, I always think of the moment where the guys are doing this, you know, outside of the car. That's what I picture. It's not true, but um, maybe it's true. I don't know. Um, but yeah, so he danced with all his might before the Lord, and actually people, his wife was like, hey, stop that. It's embarrassing. He's like, I don't care. I'll become even more indignified, indignified than this because God deserves it. Um, and so we see these emotions and these physical actions 
And so, you know, I think in, I, 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 the reason why I don't like that paradigm is because the Bible is physical and worship involves our bodies. And to ignore that is to just ignore yourself, you know. Um, so raising hands, bowing down, uh, singing loud, clapping, that's, those, are normal, those are normal things in the church and have been for thousands of years. Um, and some of you guys, when I say worship is emotional, your heart might have dropped. And I'm an emotional person, but there's been many seasons of my life that I've been so emotionally numb that when I come into worship and I see other people raising their hands or other people doing whatever, experiencing emotions in a way that it feels almost guilty um, because it's like, man, I'm not, I'm not, I can't rejoice. Um, and so I got uh, two words of encouragement for you. Um, first one is God, does, God wants your heart, but he wants it honestly. He wants it honestly. So what that means is it means that you don't just get this happy, clappy, you know, Christian thing that we see so often. Um, he wants it. He wants it honestly. He wants to inform those things. And the good news is, is throughout the scriptures, we don't, the only emotion we don't see is just rejoicing. We see everything. We see confusion. We see anger. We see sorrow. We see the, like, I don't even know, but Lord, help. <laughs> you know, I think of Habakkuk. And he was an Old Testament prophet, and he was sitting in Jerusalem before the Shabians, which is an evil nation, was going to come and just take out people. And he's just like, God. And he sings a song. He's like, God, where are you? Oh, Lord, my God, my Holy One, are you not from everlasting? You know, he sees this tension. He's confused. He comes to the Lord. He says, Lord, I know you're holy, but I don't get how this works. And emotions that come with that. So be encouraged. That means you can come, honestly. And we'll talk about that more uh, later. Uh, later in the text, um, but so point number one is God wants your, your heart honestly, so it doesn't mean you have to fake it. Uh, number two, worship involves emotions, but it's not about emotions. So that means when I was sitting there just trying to think about crying, is that's, that's, not what God, that's not what it's about. It's about ascribing God glory through song, and one of the ways we do that is involves our whole body, involves our heart. So that's a part of it. So to ignore that means to ignore something about yourself, but it's not the focus of it. Which means that we can come and we can pray and say, Lord, God, I am so confused right now. I don't know what I'm feeling, but Lord, I know you're deserving. So Lord, come meet me and help me and inform my emotions. And God is so greatly honored by that prayer. And because it's life's confusing to navigate, Amen. <laughs> You know, and emotions are confusing, confusing to navigate. Um, but God meets us where we're at. Um, so, so on one end of the spectrum, to make it about the heart is fallacious, is wrong. Um, because it's, it's not, your, your heart's not the focus of worship. But on the other end of the spectrum, to ignore the heart is also wrong. Because God wants your heart. He wants your heart. So, uh, which actually brings us into the next, the next chunk of the text. So if you guys can keep on reading with me. Uh, in verse 12, this is what David says. He says, Remember the wondrous works that he has done, his miracles and the judgments he uttered. O offspring of Israel, his servant, sons of Jacob, his chosen ones. So point number two is that worship is a response. And what I mean by that, to remember something means that something has already happened. In our case, someone has already happened. So to respond to something means that there's some reality that already exists or some, something that already exists that we're reacting to. So it's a part of a narrative. 
that if this was a story, we're not starting in the beginning. We're starting somewhere in the middle. Um, and so, so to, to respond to something, to remember something, means that you have to know what it is. <laughs> so we're not just, so when we gather, we're not just responding to something we don't know, um, but we're actually responding to something we do know, which means that worship is not just about the heart, doesn't just involve the heart, it also involves your head. Um, so you can't turn off your head for worship um, because God wants all of it. And so there's probably about a million different things that David could say, hey, remember this, remember this, that would, that reasons to worship. But he actually gives us something uh, specific. Um, so let's see what he has to say. Keep reading, verse 14. He says, he is the Lord our God. His judgments are in all the earth. Remember his covenant forever, the word that he commanded for a thousand generations. The covenant that he made with Abraham, his sworn promise to Isaac, which he confirmed as a statute to Jacob, as an everlasting covenant to Israel, saying, to you I will give the land of Canaan as your portion, as your portion for inheritance. All right. Oh, I flipped the page. <laughs> when you were few in number and of little account and of sojourners in it, wandering from nation to nation, from one kingdom to another people, he allowed no one to oppress them, he rebuked kings on their account, saying, touch not my anointed ones. Do my prophets no harm. All right, so there is a lot there. Um, there is a lot there. Um, but what David primarily reminds them is of the covenant of Abraham, which was confirmed in Isaac, Jacob, and Israel. So covenant, that's a fancy theological term. When you think covenant, I want you to think of a deep relational promise. Um, same category of marriage. So marriage is a covenant. So it's not a contract. It's not something that you just say, hey, I agree to these X terms, and you agree to these X terms, and if this fails, then this is, these are these terms. No, there's something deeper. There's something relational. There's something personal. Just like marriage, you can't say it's just, oh, I agree, I agree, okay, sweet. And then it ends, it's just like, okay, that's within the contract. You know? No, there's something deeper there. And so God actually reveals himself through the scripture as a person who makes deep relational promises. And so the question is, what's the... What's the deep relational promise he made with Abraham? And if you go back to Genesis 12, um, God says this. He says that I'm going I'm to multiply you and make you into a great nation, which is the start of the nation of Israel. And he says, I'm going to give you the land as an inheritance, which is what David says. So he gives them an inheritance, which is the land of Canaan. And in the second part, he talks about how he's going to give them divine protection. Specifically in Genesis, he says, I'm going to curse those nations who curse you, and I'm going to bless those nations who bless you, and I'm going to protect you. So that's what David says when he says, hey, I, I, I made it so they wouldn't do the prophets any harm. And, and so we see David was like, you guys have an inheritance. You know, you guys, have, you guys have protection from God. And what happened? Israel went nuts. They exploded in worship, which is what we're going to see. And so this was the reason that they were like, God, you are so good. They, re, they reminded that. They reminded of that. And, and so, and why he said, he said, sing, and he reminded them, why do you sing? He's like, look how good God has been to you. Look how close God has been to you. And brothers and sisters, I have something to say to you. We have the new covenant, the new deep relational promise in Jesus Christ that that was just a foretaste of. That your inheritance isn't a piece of land on this earth, but it's a new creation where we're going to dwell with God face to face for all eternity. No more sin, no more evil, and he's going to wipe away every tear from your eyes. That's good news. And then not only do we have uh, 
not, not do we just have like um, militaristic or political protection, that we actually have something way better, that the Holy Spirit comes and indwells our souls. And so that gives us a sufficient to walk through any trial here on this earth and gives us an inheritance that can't be touched. That in Romans 8 says, no trial, no Satan, death, famine, anything can take us away from the love that we have in God. And then he says in his sovereignty, he says he'll never let you be tempted beyond your control. That in Jesus we have such divine protection. And so how much more reason do we have to worship than Israel did? <laughs> you know? If they exploded, man, this is good. And the reason why this is a response, you know, worship is a response, is that means that whatever happened, and in our case, whoever happened, is more than enough reason to worship here. And that is 100% true that if we were tortured from the moment that we, from this moment on to the day we die or the day Jesus comes back, that what we have in Jesus is, is overwhelming reason to worship, even amidst extreme suffering. Um, and, and, and we'll talk about suffering because that doesn't mean suffering is not hard. I just want to say that. <laughs> that doesn't mean it's not complicated. That doesn't mean it's not confusing. Um, but it means what we have in Jesus is sufficient. And it also means that you don't have to worship to earn God's favor, but it means you already have it. So worship is a response because it already started with him. One of the, just a little tidbit on when we do call to worships in a service, one of the reasons we do that is to remind ourselves that this has already happened. The story has already begun, and we just get to respond to God's invitation. Um, just a quick note on uh, covenant. Uh, I, think, I think something that's... Uh, Easy to forget, especially when struggling and talking about when God wants our head and what's what we think and what we're reminded of. Um, we, we kind of forget how personal God is. Like how profound it is that the way God revealed himself to humanity is through deep personal promises that the most thing, that the biggest thing we can taste through that is marriage. I mean, I don't, you know, that's a deep, personal, intimate thing, and I don't know anything else that's akin to that. And Jesus actually says that the church is married to him, and he's actually that close and that relational to us. So that means when we worship, it's not just about a list of propositions. It's about a person. We're reminded that this person became close and is close to us. And once again, you know, what, we have, what, what they had in Abraham, we have so much deeper and so much closer in Jesus, um, which is such good news to worship. So, so, in summary, if we say worship's not about the heart but involves the heart, worship's not about the brain but involves the brain, um, and so and ultimately it's really about this Lord that we know it's about a person um, that for some reason loves sinners like us and decided to be in relationship with us, so which is good news. Amen. 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 All right. So, uh, oh yeah, this remembers. Um, so speaking of remembering. I think one of the interesting things is, you know, David's a good worship leader uh, because he tells people to remember. And why does he need to tell us to remember? Because we so easily forget. <laughs> um, there's multiple places throughout the Bible where it talks about, you know, like horrible things happen and sin happens, and it's because everyone forgot. Everyone forgot the Lord. I think of my freshman year of my undergrad. I went to just a big state party school, and it was genuinely hard when you're the only person on Saturday night on your floor not getting wasted, you know? <laughs> and so talk about just confusion, and, you know, I'm, I'm, what, 18, so there's enough confusion just being a teenager, you know, <laughs> let alone in that, and what does it mean to be a Christian in that, and, 
confusing with certain community stuff. And, uh, and I just, one of the things I cherish so deeply is looking back on, I was a member of this tiny church that, man, they sang well. I just remember just sitting there and just, honestly, on a lot of Sundays, just bawling. As we're just reminded of the gospel, reminded, God, you're so good. God, for some reason, you love me, even despite what I did last weekend, you know. Um, and, and that was actually a means of growth. And I need to be reminded of that, because I so easy to forget, because I'm petty. And I'm, you guys are human, so I know you guys are probably petty like I am. So. <laughs> and, uh, but there's freedom. There's freedom. So God meets us in our pettiness, and he reminds us in our pettiness. So now moving on. Moving on. So this is going to be some big chunks. So in verse 23, David says this. I lost my place. He says, Sing to the Lord all the earth. Tell of his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among all the peoples. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. And he is to be held in awe above all gods. For all the gods of the peoples are idols. But the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and joy are in his place. So point number three is that worship is proclamation. Uh, if you took a, just a systematic theology, which is where if you just took every instance that talks about a certain subject. So if you took every single song in the entire Bible and you said, who is the audience? So you actually see there's essentially three general categories. There's God. God is the audience. There's a second one is the church and also ourselves. So bless the Lord, O oh my soul. That's the song saying like, soul, come on, bless him. Get going, you know. Uh, and then the third one is actually the world. And that being both, both the people in it and also creation itself. And so, when we, so when, whenever we come and sing, we proclaim that God is king and that Jesus sits on the throne. And we also proclaim that anything outside of that that we worship as gods is false and pales in comparison to the God who created the universe. You know, whether it be the gods of other religions, or whether that be the functional gods that are the driving forces in so many of our lives. I think of the God of recreation and pleasure, the God of, the God of beauty and acceptance, the God of money. That we say that these things pale in comparison to the God who made them to his glory to be enjoyed. And these, even though these are good things, they're horrible gods. <laughs> um, and so we denounce those things. And David continues. He continues to keep talking on that point. He says, ascribe to the Lord, O clans of the peoples. Notice the audience shift. He says, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord glory do his name. Bring an offering and come before him. Worship the Lord in splendor of holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. Yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved. Let the heavens be glad and let the earth rejoice. And let them say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Let the sea roar and all that fills it. Let the field exult and everything in it. Then shall the trees of the forest sing for joy before the Lord. For he comes to judge the earth. Oh, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. For steadfast love endures forever. Um, so another piece of the deep relational promise that God made with Abraham was he says, in you, all nations will be blessed. And one of the things David clearly understands is that a piece of that is going to be when God's people gather to sing. 
that as we sing, as we sing, saying the Lord, the world, everyone, ascribe glory to God because he deserves it, that people are going to come and they're going to see. Um, this is on just a raw historical database. This is true. Um, you know, I think of, you know, even in the temple, how the temple was eventually set up, you know, there's, there's a place for all the nations to come and see and gather and worship. I think in Acts 8, there's the Ethiopian eunuch. Um, he actually, he was on a pilgrimage uh, to Jerusalem and was leaving because he came there to worship and see the God of Israel and see and worship and see what's happening. And so that's not just true of the Old Testament. It's also true of the church. Um, one of the things, you know, if I could, I, I have multiple friends that before they were believers and the first time they came to church, the, one of the hinge points that was huge for them was like, there is something special. There is something beautiful when God's people worship. And they wanted to see more of it. They wanted to see more of it, you know. And it makes sense that worship is beautiful, mysterious, and weighty because the God we worship is beautiful, mysterious, and weighty. And when we rightly relate to him, it makes sense that those attributes follow. And that's enticing. That's enticing. Or it's repulsing. <laughs> that, that's also true. I can, I can give you names. So, and so worship, is. there's something about it that as it engages the souls and we relate to God that, that, that draws people. Um, and as we proclaim, so we see that it, it brings people in and it's a means of the mission, but we also see that it actually drives us and reminds us of the mission. That as you say, as David's saying, he's like, ascribe to glory all the clans of the earth. Nations come and worship the Lord of the universe. That reminds us like, oh my gosh, we got to share the gospel. <laughs> we got to go. And I think one of the reasons is, is because as we sing, it gives us a taste for the eternal. Um, and if you guys want to flip, if you got your Bibles, flip over to Revelation 7. Um, if not, it'll be on the screen. So this is a picture of the end of all of human history. This is a picture of, it's a vision that God gave John of kind of like, this is what it looks like in the end. And this is what eternity is going gonna, it's, it's gonna to be like, you know. And this is, this, is what he, this is what he says. John says, After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne, the Lamb, and before the throne, and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. So we see this picture in the end for all eternity that all the nations are going to be gathered and all their tribes, their tongues, their cultures, their languages, and they're going to be raising their hands and saying, glory, glory to the Lamb, for salvation belongs to him. And the Lamb is Jesus, who was slain for our sin in our place. Glory to the Lamb. And so as we worship, we're actually joining that song. And as we join that song, we're reminded that, hey, there's people that should be in this room that aren't. <laughs> And it drives, I think of, you know, I think of a couple of my friends specifically who are on the mission field now, that the hinge point when they're like, man, I got to go, was in worship. Because they're reminded that God deserves all this glory, so that means we got to go, we got to share this good news, not just to the world, but also in our community. Um, that there's something about, there's something about getting to worship that reminds us that God is the God of the entire world and deserves it all, and deserves it all. Um, which is a beautiful thing. Um, you know, um, 
Yeah, so moving on. <laughs> so we're reminded, as we worship, we're reminded that there's still people that need to join the party. Um, and all right, final, final point. So if you guys can join me in verse 13 or 35, this is what he says. He says, say also, that means he's switching songs here. So that was the capstone of one song. He says, this is another song that you need to sing. He says, say also, save us, O God of our salvation, and gather and deliver us from among the nations that we may give thanks to your holy name and glory in your praise. Blessed be the God, blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. So he sings a new song here, and it's got a little bit of a heavier tone. And point number four is worship is holistic. Um, and what I mean by that is that it ent- worship is relevant and enters every part of our lives. Um, and I think the two areas that are a little bit less natural um, that are addressed in this text is in extreme suffering. Worship is more than relevant. You know, I think of, uh, I think of my friend Justin we were, this was been the year after I graduated high school, we were actually at a camp, a summer, like a camp thing with our youth group out in the mountains in Colorado, so it's just kind of funny, full circle. Um, and he got a phone call one night that one of his childhood friends um, that he's still friends with um, committed suicide. Man, you want to talk about confusion. And, and so what did we do? A couple of us grabbed our instruments, there's a group probably about 10 of us, and we went on the side of a mountain in the middle of the night and just cried out to God and sang with sometimes with just laugh, not not laughter, not laughter, but sometimes with tears, sometimes screaming at the top of our lungs and sometimes so quiet you could barely hear it. And there was something about that that was so right, so settling. And while while it's about the glory of God, it was indirectly therapeutic. And I don't think it's a coincidence that the main book for counseling in the Bible is the Psalms. And the main book for worship is the Psalms. <laughs> so if that's not doesn't tell you that worship is relevant in our suffering, I don't know what it is. You know, I think through me and my wife, I mean, it's been a it's been a crazy three years for us. In the past three years, we've had three miscarriages. And I, I know you guys, I, I know anyone who struggled with any type of death, or just how confusing it is. And it's because it's not supposed to happen. <laughs> you know, that's not right. And I think something that was huge for us was even just sitting and singing and crying out. Sometimes we could barely get the words out, but it was, we cry, Jesus, we come because your mercy and grace helps in time of need. So we sing holy because you became a human being, our great high priest. And it's quoting Hebrews where it says, come to God in times of great suffering to receive that daily mercy that's so deeply needed. And why can we do that? Because Jesus God put on flesh, stepped into humanity, and suffered. God suffered. That's not a little thing. He understands. So we have the freedom to come and sing and say, Lord, everything's horrible, but I know you're from everlasting to everlasting. Come. You know, I think of, uh, uh, what is it? Uh, There's a Sandra McCracken song that's talking about a I can't remember what psalm it is, but it starts off, Why are you so downcast, O my soul? And the chorus is, Put your trust in God, for I'll yet sing praises to him. (laughs) And so we have the freedom to come into God amidst our confusion, amidst our suffering, and lay that on him. Um, But it's not just in our suffering. It's also in our sin. Usually it's always a mix of both. (laughs) But 
but also in habitual sin. And the reason where I get this from is because what he says is he says that deliver us from among the nations and gather us and deliver us. And in the book of Deuteronomy, in the Old Covenant, which we're under the New Covenant, so it doesn't directly apply to us, um, it's, he says that when you do well, you will dwell in the land. And when you go after other gods, when you, when you, when you worship other gods, when you worship other idols, four nations are going to come, and you're going to be inhabited, and you're going to be scattered. So for David to say, gather us, Lord, deliver us, he's essentially admitting that there's been idolatry in the nation. Brothers and sisters, this is good news. Because that means if you're in habitual sin, whether it's you're struggling with anger and you just had a huge fight with somebody before you're coming in this room, whether you're struggling with addiction and it feels overwhelming, whether you're struggling with identity issues, whether you're struggling with jealousy, whether you're struggling, I mean, fill in the blank. It means we have the freedom to come and worship God because we don't worship him because we're good enough, but for some reason God loves us. So it's, the natural reaction is when we're sinning and struggling is to run away and say, I don't, I don't want to go. I can't come before the Lord. And no, I tell you that because of Jesus, you can. And you can lay that down and say, God, you are good. Amen. And so, so that means come. If you're struggling, come. Come. This is, this is, it's, it's, the Lord wants to meet you here. And so, but as we do that, something happens. As we say, Lord, you are deserving of all glory, and for Lord, for some reason you love us, we actually open up our hands and the idols and the sins that we hold on to fall. Because worship, you don't come to worship, you don't come to worship because you need to be good enough, but you walk away changed. Worship is a catalyst for repentance. If he's saying deliver us, he's essentially saying, Lord, we renounce these idols. I mean, he just sang a song where he said, we renounce this. And so, Lord, come and inform this. You know, I think of, uh, this is when I was in high school. I was a junior high, I was a leader with the junior high youth group at my church. And, you know, I was struggling with some habitual sin. And to, to start working through and start wa- walking through that means I'd have to have some really awkward conversations with a couple people and own some stuff. And, you know, I'm usually good when it's, like, personal things. But once you have to talk to somebody, it gets really hard, you know? Amen? Um, <laughs> that's like... I'm fine if it's just me, you know? Um, and, and I just remember we're, we're jumping and singing some, song, some goofy junior high song in an embodied way and that junior highers do so well. And the line was, I am a war already won. And for, man, that line just hit me to my core. And I just remember thinking like, God, you know what? You, the war of my struggle with evil and the Lord of my struggle with sin has been defeated in the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. You get it all. You own me. Um, you get it all. So how can I hold back? And I just remember literally, like, and for some reason, I just blessed that, and I, I literally walked away from that, that worship session. I went and made the first phone call that very day. Um, and so worship is a catalyst for repentance. And so that means if you're struggling with these things, get help. There's grace. There's freedom. And as we worship, let this be the first time to lay these things down. And because God doesn't just want your heart. He doesn't just want your emotions. He doesn't just want your head, what you think. But he wants your hands, what you do, what you're committed to. And worship informs that. And worship informs that. Um, And man, is it good news that God will meet us in our sin and our suffering. Man, is that good news. Uh, Because man, how do we struggle so deep? Um, 
So, um, when we talk about worship being beautiful, mysterious, and weighty, uh, the reason that is is because we worship a God who's beautiful, mysterious, and weighty. It makes sense that when we worship him, that those qualities flow. Those qualities flow. And the last verse of the text says this. It says, Then all the people said, Amen, and praise the Lord. And remember, David's dancing half naked. So they're going nuts. They're going nuts. Um, so what does that mean for us? What does it mean for us? So I give you some practical things that will helpful as we move forward that I need you guys help on. I'm just loosely relating to these four points. The first one is when we talk about worship being embodied, that it takes these metaphysical things and helps us respond in our physical selves. Um, that means that our bodies are supposed to be a part of it. Emotions are supposed to be a part of it. So what I need from you guys is that as we worship, if you feel inclined to raise your hands, take the risk. Do it. If you feel inclined to get on your knees and just pray for a while because it's for some reason you feel called to do that, do it. Sing loud. One of the most things I was encouraged by that, by the one week I came is, man, you got sang. I love that. Keep it up. Keep it up. Let's sing. Um, and so, and as you guys go and feel freedom to just respond, and I'm not saying fake it. Don't do something you don't feel want to do. That's fine. That's fine if you don't feel that inclination. But if you do, as you respond, it'll just give more of a freedom here. Um, and people, it, it, just, it just takes the pressure off, and people aren't thinking about themselves, like, what am I doing? But they're like, hey, let's just join the party and respond in our bodies. I would rather have the problem that me or Caleb would have to have a conversation with one person a week of saying, hey, that was really distracting when you jumped off the rafters, you know? <laughs> I, would, I would rather have that problem than just have a bunch of people who don't feel freedom to sing and don't feel freedom to clap and don't feel freedom to move. Um, <laughs> so, you know? Um, don't jump off the rafters. That's not a freedom. That's, I'll say that's a no. That'd be the one no-no. That'd be the one no-no. Um, but yeah, I feel freedom. And I'm going to dance because that's just what I do. I'm always grooving. And so don't make me. I, you can join the party if you want to. So, um, so worship is embodied. So sing loud, clap. Um, involve your emotions. It's okay. Um, two, when we talk about worship is remembering. My prayer for this community is that if I do a horrible job, and worship is just horrendous. Everything's out of tune. Everything's awkward that you guys have such a discipline in your souls to fight hard to remember the Lord who's deserving of our worship that the conditions don't matter. It's my job to make sure that these conditions, that I'm reminding you guys of the gospel, I'm reminding you guys of God, and, and pursuing musical excellence. That's my job. But my prayer is that, say that is not the case, that you guys are so ready to worship, not because we need conditions and, and uh, pretty-sounding acoustics, but because God of the universe des deserves it. So, um, so that's, that's my prayer when we talk about worship as response. You've got to fight hard for that, because sometimes you don't want to. You know, I, I, you know, I think we're human beings, and one of the things I like how we do two songs at the beginning and three songs at the end, because usually my heart takes a little bit to kind of shake off the cobwebs and just, and just to where I'm really ready to respond. So, and that's okay. You're human, that's okay. Um, that's okay. So, uh, point number three with worship is proclamation. Uh, my desire is that this would be an environment that a non-Christian can step in, um, can step in and see the Lord clearly, and just and see this beauty, see this mystery and weight that happens when we worship. Um, and what that means is it means the culture of the things surrounding our music doesn't just need to reflect what's in this room, but also needs to reflect the people that we're praying to be in this room. And what I mean by that is, here's maybe a possible example. 
um, there's a huge Spanish-speaking population in Denver. Um, and there's actually probably a lot of Spanish-speaking people in this congregation. So if I decide to do a song in Spanish or a chorus in Spanish where we're singing, that your inclination would be like, oh, that's weird, that's not, that's not what I'm used to. But your, your inclination would be, man, God is the God of all nations, tribes, cultures, everything. And that I'm willing to lay down that to love my brothers and sisters of Christ and love the people that we're trying to reach. Um, because worship's always a mix of comfort and discomfort. And part of that is, is because we're different. <laughs> and that's a good thing. That's the picture of the end. So... Um, a brief word on that note, uh, for my brothers and sisters in this room that aren't a part of the majority culture, have grace on me. I'm a 26-year-old white dude, and I don't know what I'm doing, <laughs> you know? Um, that's confusing to navigate, and I would love to talk to you and figure out what does it mean to even, you know, even uh, represent th this room, so, and start those conversations, so. Um, and then finally, when we talk about worship is holistic, um, you know, when we're in sin and we're in struggling, uh, it's really easy to stay away, and whether that be physically and just not go to church because I'm just overwhelmed, or whether that be even just like emotionally and present here. Um, I just my prayer is that you guys this would be a place that when you're when you're struggling this would be a place that you desire to come, a place that you desire to lay down, a place that you desire to work through, and so we can work through those things in community, work through those things with the Lord, opposed to apart from Him. Um, and that, that takes discipline sometimes. And one of the things that even coming on here, you know, conversations me and Caleb have is even, what does care look like here? Um, is that something we're, we're, trying, we're trying to flesh out and figure out and grow in? So, um, so I ask that regardless of how crazy the season, that this would be a place that you come to lay down and fight hard to do that. Because um, we all need to do that. And we all have seasons of struggle. Um, so and the last thing that's just super practical uh, is, well, I guess two things. So one, we're going to try, things are, might change up a little bit, and we might move one part of the service to this, or I don't, I don't know, we're still fleshing that out. Um, I pray that just grace, grace as we kind of experiment a little bit, um, and experiment with the service. And, and then two, also, we're going to do a decent amount of new songs, so um, to keep freshening it up a little bit, so just me coming on. Um, so I'm going to start posting new songs on the week before on Facebook. Um, and so go listen to them. Follow the links, listen to them, get to know, because that's just more fun when people know the songs coming in. So it's just a little bit of a, less of a learning curve. Um, so check out Facebook, check out for new stuff. Um, and just as David reminded the people of Israel of the Abrahamic covenant, the deep relational promise that God made with Abraham, Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, yeah, he broke bread. And he said with his apostles that this, this bread broken and this cup is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. So when Jesus actually says, remember the work I've done, that you are now a part of my kingdom, a part of my people, and your sins are forgiven. And today we have the joy of, of taking communion here as a body. And so if you're not a believer, we ask that you would abstain from the table and ask, what's, what's holding you back? What's holding you back? And we'd love to talk to you more. But if you're a Christian, we ask that you would come and you would eat and rejoice in what Jesus has done. So I'm going to pray for us. Uh, Father God, Lord, I thank you that you've given us worship to respond to you. Um, Lord, I thank you that we can sing, and we're going to do it for the rest of eternity. Um, and Lord, I pray that as we sing in this next season, Lord, I pray that as, yeah, whatever happens in the next 10 years, um, Lord, that you would be greatly glorified 
by our worship, not because we're good enough, but because for some reason you love us and we can know you. Um, So Lord, I pray that we wouldn't forget you, we wouldn't ignore you, and all these things that were from you today, you'd write in our hearts and everything that's not, we just forget because who cares? Um, Yeah, God, we thank you and praise this and praise you and pray this all in your holy name. Amen.